Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, let me very briefly go back and review real quick. We're, we're looking at, yeah, I, I hear that laugh. You all know me. My reputation precedes me. <clears throat> We've been looking at what it takes to, to live victoriously. And the first thing you have to know is victorious living has nothing to do with your immediate circumstances and what they look like. We all will have periods where we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, in fact, you know, we, we prayed for, for Noni's mom and for, for um, Dean's mom. And they're approaching the end of their life. Their bodies are giving out. It's like a house that you just can't repair anymore. You know, there are, I don't know about you all, but I, I'm, I'm a, um, my dad would have called it a, a Jake leg carpenter. I've heard other people say it's a jack leg carpenter. I'm one of those guys that, you know, you, you cut twice and you can't, still can't figure out why that board's still too short. But... You, I, I love to watch the, the PBS show, This Old House. They go into these old houses and they restore them. They make them like new. But occasionally they'll get in one and they look at it and it's like, this is going to cost a fortune. It's a good thing they never tell you what the dollar signs are because, I mean, some of these there, it's just huge. There are some buildings, they get to the point where you cannot fix it anymore. It's deteriorated to the point where there's no repair. No repair necessary. They put a condemned sign on it, and they say nobody can live here, and eventually they tear it down. That's what, if, if Jesus doesn't come back for, fast, that's what all of us are in store for. We will reach a point where this house, this physical house, will, will reach a point where it's not repairable anymore. But... That, that isn't the end. In fact, I wasn't going to go there, but let's start here. And then we're going to come back to this at the end because we're going to take communion at the end. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the definition of, of victorious living from the Apostle Paul. Not my definition, but it's his. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. And this is, if you go through here, it's Paul's talking about the coming into the light of the gospel. Um, that in verse 7, he talks about the excellence of the, the treasure that we have, but it's in earthen vessels. And in verse 16, he says, uh, because of all of these things that we're going to face, he says, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Part of, of the problems of this life is our outward man is perishing. You know, it, I just said a minute ago that the, having birthdays is much better than the alternative. When you quit having birthdays, we put your body in a box and we put it under the ground and, you know, we remember you. We're all going to hit that if Jesus doesn't come before we die physically. But as we progress towards that, and let's face it, you are dying a little bit every day. You're, you're, they, you know, scientists tell us the peak of your physical body is around 18, 19, 20 years old. We're all past our peak. 
Some of us a lot more than the others. But even though, notice what he says, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed by day, day by day. Even though the, the issues of life, and it's not just our bodies, but sometimes it's your circumstances, sometimes it's a lot of different things. But even though on the outside things are going wrong, on the outside things are hard, inwardly we can be renewed day by day. We should be getting better and stronger inwardly. And, and the power of the gospel in our lives, our lives should be transformed daily. We need to be filled with the Spirit daily, continually. Why? Because we need it. Notice what Paul says here in 17. For our light affliction. This is the Apostle Paul. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bit. And he looks at him and says, those are just light afflictions. Which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's the key right there. You can't put your focus on the things that you see. Your focus has to be on the things which are unseen. Even when you get to the stage where you're at the very end of life, and believe me, if you've ever watched someone physically die, it's, it's, sometimes it's amazing to watch how you, you look at the body and you realize how fragile it is and just in a moment's time they can be gone. And then you look at other people and their body just simply refuses to give up. They hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on till they're begging for death. Now, it, when you know that heaven is your home, Sometimes death is not just a better alternative. It's a welcome thing, and you want to get to it. Because inwardly, your inward man is getting better and stronger, and it's like, I want, I'm done. I don't want to live in this old condemned house anymore. Let's just walk out, shut the door, and go on. Now, praise God, I, I, I believe we can walk in victory before we get to that. But we should, we should approach death in the same victory that we approach life. In fact, you will, let me say it that way, you will approach death the same way you approach life. You don't make any, it's very rare that you see bed or death side conversions. People normally continue the pattern that they've had. If they've lived in fear, they'll die in fear. If they've lived in faith, they'll die in faith. That's why we need to work on this. Now, we said when we started this, the first key to this is you have to know what is yours. You have to know who you are in Christ. And I'm just going to read through these scriptures. We look first at Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus chose you. If you are a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, he still chose you. You just haven't accepted his choosing yet. I watched a, a little blurb yesterday or a little program on uh, Bo Jackson. I forgot all about Bo Jackson. He was the last person, one of the few ever, to play professional baseball and professional football at the same time. He played football as a hobby when the baseball season ended. The man was just an incredible athlete. 
But when he, when he first got out of school, I think it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, drafted him. They called him by name. They said, we want you. And he said, no, thanks. I'm going to go play baseball because I wouldn't, I wouldn't play for you all if you were the last team on earth. And he walked away. It's a reason he wouldn't play football. He wouldn't go play for Tampa Bay. He got called, and he refused the calling. Now, he was good enough in his sport that eventually somebody else called him. And when the right team called him, he said, yeah, I need a hobby. I need something to do in the offseason. So he went and became an all-star football too, player, too. Which just blows my brain out. But God has called us. He chose us. In fact, the, the, the message, we've read this before, Romans 8.30, in the message trans, or version of the Bible, it says, after God made the decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. He chose you. He called you by name. Now, you need to respond to that call, and it's voluntary, but, but it also keep in mind that that response is not a, I responded, I got saved, I'm done, let's go on to heaven. If that was all there was to it, God, when you got saved, God would just say, okay, let's he'd translate us out, we'd be in heaven. We have a job to do now that we're here. And that job is to live victoriously. That job is to live according to the power of the gospel. And to be a light to the rest of the world that says, there's a good reason to be a Christian. People ought to be able to look at our lives, not just because we're successful, we're rich, where we walk in total healing all the time, but they ought to be able to look at us and see, this person is dealing with the same issues in life that I deal with, and yet there's something different about how they approach those issues. Life doesn't get them down. They don't get overwhelmed. They don't, they don't get under the mully grubs and stay there. Now, it doesn't mean, well, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you will never have the mully grubs. Blue Mondays will come. But when Blue Mondays become weeks of Blue Mondays, when you're hitting, you know, a couple of years of Blue Mondays, then there's a problem with how you're living. God didn't call you to live under it. He called you to live victoriously. He's giving you, we saw this last week, everything that pertains to life and godliness. Well, if he's given it to you, we ought to be walking in it. That's the call of this message. But to do that, we first have to know what is ours, but then we have to activate what we know. And we looked at, at Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, and let me just sum up that rather than read it again. You can put it up here on the screen. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. When you, when you put that in the proper order, because in, in, in Romans 10, let me read it real quick. Let me get over there. Romans 10, starting in verse 13. Um, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the end result. We want to call on the Lord to be saved. Now, that is for your initial salvation. But keep in mind, Bible scholars tell you there are three tenses to this word salvation. You have to get saved. You are being saved, present tense. And you will be saved someday when Jesus comes back and you get a brand new body. Well, if you have already called on his name and your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and you're seated with him in heavenly places, 
then you are in the process of being saved. You're in the process of being sanctified. You're in the process of living out the Christian walk. That still requires us calling on him on a daily basis. That requires us to get our sight on the right thing. Just what Paul said. We don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are unseen. Amen? But if you take this, go on and read verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him uh, of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Well, if you reverse that and look at the order, first of all, you have to be called before the foundation of the earth. Jesus called your name, and he called every name of every human that's ever lived. Don't, don't misunderstand. There is a predestination to God's will, but his predestination said that every human being that's ever lived, ever will live, I've called them to come into a relationship with me. And Jesus came and, and, and um, was his, his body was broken, his blood was shed. He died the death that no one else could die. And his resurrection, he was resurrected so that they could come into the knowledge and have a relationship with God. God has not created anyone and purposely said, I created you so I could send you to hell. Every person he created, he called to heaven. Unfortunately, there are a lot that say no thanks. Usually out of ignorance, and to be honest with you, I'm ashamed to say it, but a lot of times they say no because the Christians they see don't represent the kingdom very well, and they don't want any part, any part of the Christianity they see lived because we're not living the true Christian life in front of the world. We're not a, we, we put our light under the basket, or we're living just legalistic, you know, you're going to go to hell, and people say, well, great. Because if going to heaven means living with you for eternity, I prefer hell. I mean, it, that's a tragedy that, that people actually have that opinion because of the Christians they see and how they live. It's a tragedy. And I, I, I don't want to face Jesus that. But he's called us before the foundation of the world. But then once he's called us as disciples, believers, he sends us. We preach, they hear, they believe, and they call. They call on the Lord. In our own personal life, God has called to us, and he is, send, he is preaching. He sent people to preach the word to you. He sent, first of all, he sent all the biblical writers. For me individually, I, Ezekiel was sent to write to me. Matthew was sent to write to me. Mark was sent to write to me. All of these, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he was sent to write a word to me. So God sent them. He's, he's preached to me through them. <clears throat> I, but I have to hear the word, and I have to believe the word, and then I have to call on the word. It's not enough to hear it and believe it if I don't call on it. It, to, to put it in terms, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Um, <clears throat> let's go over there. I was going to quote it, but I'll mess it up. Mark eleven twenty three. And by the way, Kenneth E. Hagin did not write this verse. He just preached on it more than any other human being I've known. 
And it was interesting, <clears throat> as much as he preached on it, he said he never preached on it, that he didn't get new revelation on it. You'll never, you'll never get to the depth of all the revelation there is in God's Word. But Mark 11, um, let's back up to 22. Jesus answered them and said, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, notice the saying part, you say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. There is, there is believing and not doubting, but there are three times in there he says, you have to speak to the mountain. That's how you activate what you believe. It's not enough just to hear it and believe it. It's got to come out of your mouth. And then we close last week with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Um, Peter started in verse 1. Simon Peter, he identified himself. I'm a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who obtained like precious faith with us. Peter had the same kind of faith that Jesus had. Jesus just said here in Mark eleven twenty three, have faith in God. Or there, an alternate translation of that is have the faith of God. Jesus had faith in God. He had faith in, in, in God's word. Peter has the same kind of faith. And Peter says, you guys have the same kind of faith that I have. So I can't say, well, I, you know, I'm just not Jesus. No, you're not. But you have the same faith that Jesus had. You have the same faith that Peter had. And they moved mountains. And therefore we can. He said, who have obtained, it's already ours, like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Mount says in ever increasing measure. In other words, this is a progression. The, the, the grace and peace keeps getting deeper and deeper and wider and wider. Like I've said before, eternal life is not just length of life. I heard somebody use a, an illustration, and they were trying to describe eternal life, and they got this rope, and they had this, I don't know, hundreds of feet of rope, and they had a little bitty tip of it was red. And he said, this is your lifetime. This is eternity. And I understand the illustration, but it's a poor one. Because life is not just length. Eternal life is just not living forever. There is a depth and a breadth. It, it's the quality of life, not just the length of life. Because believe me, when your quality of life gets bad enough, you will pray for death. It's not going to be fun when God casts, when, when the Father has to cast the unbelievers into the pit with Satan. And, and, and let me just take a little side journey here. That pit was created for Satan and the angels, not for human beings. God's intention was never to have to do that. People that choose that, choose it. They choose to reject the gift. And I've had people say, if a loving God would not do that. No, you misunderstand. A loving God left heaven, came to earth, bound himself in a human body for all eternity, lived a perfect life, died a horrendous death, became what we were, became sin, 
took all of the wrath of God on himself and then conquered it, came out and said, you don't have to be trapped in what you are. And if you're fool enough to say no to that offer, then you're you are a fool and you deserve to go to hell. It's not God's fault. Amen? But notice, this grace and peace should be an ever-increasing measure to us. To you in the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. There has to be a head knowledge. You have to get into the word. You, you just uh, receive it intellectually to begin with. But as Pastor said a minute ago, at, at some point it starts to become alive in your heart. It's alive from the beginning, but it will start to take root. And as it takes root, it will start to bear fruit. And then it becomes a revelation at some point. When that happens, because he says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. It's through the, the, the great and precious promises. It's through a knowledge of the word. You can never advance beyond your, your knowledge of the word, spiritually. But notice what he says. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 5. But also for this reason, give, giving all diligence, add to your faith. In other words, it's a progression. Your faith will produce these other things. We ought to be advancing. If you're standing still, you're going to go backwards. It's like being in a river. You jump in a, on a raft. As a kid, I lived right off the Blue River down in southern Indiana. We would take inner tubes, go fill them up at the gas station, make them fat, throw them in the river, hop in them, and just float for hours. And when you just jumped in them and laid back on that water, guess what? The current will pull you downstream. Well, life will pull you. And if you're going to go that way, you're going to have a progression, and it's not going to be a good one. Our job is to add to our, our precious grace, add and, and grow in these things so that we're going against the stream. As the world gets darker and darker, we get lighter and lighter. And we can do that. But it's, it's the, through the knowledge of the Word. The Word has to take first place in your life. Let's go over to Joshua, chapter 1. We're going to, to, to look at, at an example of this in Joshua's life. Joshua, I can't imagine what Joshua faced. Joshua was one of two people, Joshua and Caleb, of the generation that came out of Egypt. They were the only two that made it into the promised land. That right there tells me that to live victoriously to conquer Canaan, because the, crossing the Jordan River and going into Canaan, despite what the old hymns, the, I love the old hymns about going into Jordan land, going into Canaan land, it's not heaven. We have no enemies in heaven. There are giants in Canaan. Canaan, the, the, taking the promised land, is, is a type of your life right now. You have giants that you're going to have to face. You have mountains that you have to move. But most of Israel, all but two, millions came out of Egypt. 
That, that's a type of the new birth. Almost all of them died in the wilderness, totally not expressing anything that God gave them. But a few, a very small minority, crossed into the Jordan and, and conquered Jordan land. I want to be in that minority that takes the truth of the gospel and walks in and starts living victoriously. I don't know about you, but that's my goal. Joshua has to take Moses' place here and lead these people. If Moses proved one thing in 40 years in the wilderness, this is not an easy group to lead. They were stiff-necked. They were hard to do. Joshua now has that call, but he doesn't have jo or Moses' standing with the people. Amen? He's, he's, you know, he's not a kid, but he is uh, Joshua, or he is Moses' assistant. And nobody quite has the respect for the assistant that takes over from the original leader that they had for the original leader, at least not for a while. But this is what God says to him. After the death of Moses, this is Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Notice first thing, God spoke. God is always speaking. If you don't hear his voice, and, and there are occasions when you might hear an audible voice, there are occasions when God will say something to you that it's just, just real in your heart. But even when you don't hear anything else, he's already spoken. It's in, it's in your Bible. It's, you've already got his word. He's spoken to you. But he spoke to Joshua, and, and for us, he will take this word, this written word, and make it personal. He will say, this is for you at this time in this situation. He spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. First of all, the past is dead. Let it go. Doesn't matter what you used to do. Doesn't matter who you used to be. Doesn't matter how you used to do things. If it's not right now, it's dead and gone. Let it go. God may want to do something a little different today than he did yesterday. Amen? If you can't let go of the past, now that doesn't mean you forget the past. Some things you, you, you learn patterns, you learn how to do things, but you don't let it rule over you, especially the negative. Because Satan will come and bring your past up and remind you, you dirty dog, you did this and this and this and this and this, and you need to take God's attitude. I don't see any of that. It's under the blood. God's cleansed me from that righteousness. But some of the, of the good things, God may have done things in a particular way last year or the year before or 10 years. He may be wanting to bless you in a different way, and you have to be open to that today. Joshua, or he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Notice, verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I said to Moses. He's taking Joshua and he's saying, I promised Joshua or, or Moses that I'm giving them the land. I'm telling you, Joshua, that promise is as much for you as it was for Moses. The promises that we find in here, the ones that Peter talked about, the great and precious promises that by through those we might be partakers, they're to us. 
They're to us in our generations. He's given them to us al already. Drop down to um, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You need to understand that God doesn't get you out in the middle of the desert just so you can die of starvation and die of thirst. When, you, when he's told you to get somewhere, usually you're going to have opposition. And when you get out in the middle of, of the opposition and it looks like, I thought this was God. I thought if God told me to do this, it would be easy. No, because you have an enemy. John 10.10 10 says, there, the, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he's alive and well on planet Earth, and he will steal and kill and destroy everything you've got if you allow him. But thank God that Jesus didn't stop there. He said, but I have come that you might have life in that more abundantly. And then he also said over in the New Testament that we should resist the devil and he will flee from us. That's part of living victorious. You have to learn to embrace God and resist the devil. I heard a minister say years ago, um, you need to hate, learn to hate sin and love God. Or love God and hate sin. All right, let's, let's go on. He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The same spirit that resided on Moses resided on Jesus and resides on us. Keep in mind that Jesus said of John the Baptist, he said, there has not been a prophet in all history that was as great as John the Baptist. Greater than Moses, greater than Ezekiel, greater than, than uh, Elijah or Elisha. Greater than any of them, but the least of those in my kingdom is greater than he. So when you read about Moses' uh, great triumphs, when you read about what Joshua does and Caleb does, when you read about what Ezekiel did, about what, what Elijah did and Elisha did, keep in mind, God holds you in greater esteem than those. He's given you a greater anointing. He's given you a deeper word. He's given you a better calling with better promises. Don't look at them and say, man, I wish I could just do what Elijah did. You've got a greater anointing than Elijah. It's where the amen went, guys. And I know you're thinking with me, but I'm trying to expand how you view yourself. You have, most of us, Run around, run around with, with a little Saturday night special, 22 half-inch barrel, and that's our weapon, and God has put atomic weapons on the inside of us that want to just completely annihilate the enemy. And we're, and we're running around using a pop, pop gun. You've got all kinds of weapons. We need to start using them. But you can't use them until you realize you got them. Amen? Now, verse 6. This is the stipulation. Be strong and of good courage. In other words, this ain't going to be easy. Don't think just because God's in it that it's going to be, you know, well, if God's in it, then it, I won't have to do much. You know, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. No, it's not. Jesus said, God said in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit said through, and I forget where it is, that it's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come into the knowledge of Christ. And yet there are lots of people going to hell. Is it God's will for everyone to be saved? Yes, absolutely. 
Is everybody getting saved? No. Well, if, it, if God's will is not being accomplished there, how much more? Because I've heard people say, well, if it's God's will for me to be healed, I'll be healed. Not if you don't speak to your mountain. Not if you don't believe that you're healed now. Not if you don't work for it. There is a part that you have to play. You're not responsible for everything, but you are responsible for some things. It's God's healing power that will heal you. You can't, it's not through your own effort, it's not through your own work, but you do have to believe and speak and, and, and walk in his anointing and allow him to walk through it and resist the devil. And if you don't do that in every area of this, it's not going to happen. We have to be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This is the second time he said just in this passage that I've already sworn this. Now, when, when you see a phrase or a, a thought repeated in Scripture, it's not because God stutters. It's because he's, he's doing it for emphasis. He wants us to know this, I've already called this done. Just like we, we read in Corinthians. We stand on the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. God has called a lot of things that we don't see in our lives, but we have to believe that what he said is more important than what we really see. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Now, here again, we're not just being strong and courageous now. We've got to be very courageous. It's going to get worse. Well, I just thought that it would get easier and easier. No, your path is going to get brighter and brighter, but not necessarily easier and easier. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Notice, that you may observe to do. We have a part to play. This is part of the key, because I, I, we already looked at, at Mark eleven twenty three. We have to say to the mountain, but, but the key here is not that, that it's on you to start just speaking to this mountain. What you have to do is get in the Word, find out what God's promise is to you standing already, and then take that Word that He's already agreed with and start speaking that Word over your situation. Because the criticism I've heard about Word people, and I've heard it a lot, and to be honest with you, in some parts it's true. As you all are arrogant, you think that you're, you're going to, to just declare things and they're going to happen. I do believe that. But the only way that happens is I already know God's will in the situation. I'm not moving heaven. I'm not causing God to react. I'm not bossing God around. I'm finding out what has God promised to me. What has he already said? I have given this to you. And once I know he's given this to me, then I'm not commanding God to do something. I'm commanding the devil back off of my prize. This belongs to me because God said it belongs to me. You need to back up, Jack. And if you don't, I'll back you up. And if I need the angels, I'll get the angels. But if the devil works through the 10,000 angels to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with me, then it's me and the Holy Ghost are more than a match for him. Amen? I believe in angels. I believe in the ministry of angels. But angels have nothing on the Holy Spirit. 
And he's in you. And he's trying to reveal to you, these are the things. Find out what he's promised you. Find out what he's given you. And then stand for it. Don't let your circumstances dictate to you. You dictate to your circumstances when they go against God's will. But if you don't know what God's will is, you don't know how to stand. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. I love the message when it talks about the book of the law. It says the book of the revelation. I like that phrase. It's the book of the revelation. For us, it's the book of the revelation of who Jesus is and who Jesus is in me. And it goes beyond just being saved and I'm going to make it to heaven. It's that I'm saved, and as John said in, in 1 John, as he is now, I am in this world. I'm called to be a little Christ. The book of Acts says that when Paul preached, I think it was in, in uh, whatever city he went to uh, and preached for seven, eight, ten years before he went to Ephesus and Asia Minor, it says they were there first called Christians. Paul preached to this congregation until they got a revelation that they were little Christs. They were Christ in the earth. Now, I know some people will hear that and they'll say, you are so arrogant, you think you're God. No, but I am God's representative. When people see me, they have to see God. If they see me, I've failed. If they see God in me, I've succeeded. And one of those things is, is when tests and trials come, I stand against them and I live in victory over them. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That doesn't mean that you're never allowed to sleep. It's like one of the verses in, in, that Paul wrote. He says, you need to pray without ceasing. Well, I've known people that nearly collapsed because they tried it. Well, you, it doesn't mean praying 24 hours a day. This doesn't mean that you cannot do anything but look at the Word. It means you never get to any point in your life, day, night, doesn't matter, that the, you're not looking at the world through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of the Bible. It means that when, when he says pray without ceasing, it means that there is nothing in your life that you don't pray about. When I was in seminary, which was not a long time, and I got delivered, but I had a, a, we had a, a, a guest speaker at chapel, and we were a typical um, school in the city. We didn't have enough parking. There were 10,000 students in five parking places, which is how most schools are, most, most colleges and, and postgraduate schools. Well, he said, you know, I, had, I'm a, I was a little bit late because I was trying to find a place. And he said, and, you know, to be honest with you, he said, I've gotten beyond praying for God for parking places. God's got more important things to deal with than finding me a parking place. And even as ignorant as I was, and believe me, I was ignorant at that point in my life. I just, my lightning fast mind said, if your God's got not big enough to deal with world peace and a parking spot at the same time, your God's not big enough. God can't, there is nothing, nothing so small that you shouldn't pray about. There is nothing so big that you shouldn't pray about. And, and to be honest with you, the two extremes are, are what we eliminate. 
Well, I don't need to pray about this one because God doesn't need to be bothered with this. Yeah, he does. Because he may have a, he may want you to do something about that. And there's nothing too big. Well, I would pray about this, but this is just how it is. I mean, the doctor said I'm terminal. Well, honey, let me give you a hint. You're terminal right now. You are. You don't know how long you've got on this earth. You may drop dead on the way out of here. You may live another 50 years. You don't know. But you do know this. If Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. And they're going to bury you. It happens to everyone. The point is not living or dying, the point, or the point's not to, to avoid death. The point is to live life this way. And I do it by meditating day and night, always thinking, what does God's Word say about this? What does God's Word say how I should respond to this? Then you will have good success. You want to be successful in life? I mean, let's face it. We spend lots of money, buy lots of books, listen to lots of tapes, have mentors everywhere to try to be successful. I've never known anyone that went into any endeavor with their, the thought process of, I'm going to see how bad I can fail at this. Everything we start, we want to be a success at. Meditating on the Word day and night, approaching it the way God wants you to approach it, is the key to being successful. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Everything that, 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 that um, God said to Joshua, he said several times, I've given you the answers. You're going to have to be strong and courageous, which means it's not going to be easy. But don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to get you in the middle of the desert and, and, and let you die. I'm there. But you are going to have to take my word and plant it in your heart. If you go to the, the parable of the sower, you've got all of the different soils. Do you know what the difference in the soils is? How the person worked their heart. We all start out rocky hard soils. I've never met anybody that's, that's, that's um, you know, we used to have a saying when we would, I did evangelism explosion in one of my early churches, and we would go out and, and just do cold calls sometimes, and we'd go out and visit people that we knew. They probably are not going to be saved, and we're going to present the gospel to them. And we'd always remind them, just keep in mind, when you talk to these people, they only have one problem, or a couple of problems. They're deaf, they're blind, and they're dead. It's kind of hard to communicate with someone that's deaf, blind, and dead. We're all rocky, hard, non-productive soil until the knowledge of the gospel comes and it gets planted in our heart and it grows and we get the revelation, wow, I can be saved. And if we accept that, we get born again, God transforms us, he makes us brand new creatures, he starts a process, and then we have to work the soil. You plant the word which is the seed, but you also plant the word which is the water of the word, which softens the soil, breaks up the rocks, and lets the roots go deep. The key isn't, well, I'm just a rocky soil. Yeah, you were, but don't stay there. Keep planting the word. Keep watering the word. You plant it the first time you hear it. You water it the second time you hear it. 
and it requires lots of water. And you keep planting and keep watering and keep watering, and it will grow. And those roots will even go in. If you've ever watched a, a, a grass grow up through a sidewalk, you'll have one little blade that peeks through. And then a few months later, you got a little twig that's going through. And then a few months later, you got a bigger twig that's growing through. And then a couple of years later, you don't have a sidewalk there. You've just got concrete that's heaved up and broken up because a tree's growing up out of the middle of it. You can have concrete for your heart. The Word will break it up if you keep planting the Word and keep watering the Word. Your soil will change, and then you become fruitful. Amen? Let's go to Romans 4. If I'm supposed to... to, to um, Speak to my mountain. How do I do it? Well, you do it by faith. And Romans chapter 4 gives us our prime example, which is Abraham. It all started with Abraham. And let's, let's, start, with, um, let's start with verse 17, because I need to go quicker here. Well, let's go with verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. Joshua, God spoke in terms of the book of the law. But remember, the basis of the law was always grace. The Jews didn't get saved by following the law. The law pointed them to a picture of a Messiah that was to come who was going to shed his blood for them, just like when they went into the temple, the priest took a little lamb. And I know this grosses some people out, and I hope it does. Took a little innocent lamb, white, shiny, just clean as it could be, faultless. And he took it by the back of its neck, and it exposed his neck, and he took a sharp knife, and he slit its throat, and blood went everywhere. And if the, they had a teaching priest in that day, then the priest said, you see this lamb? This is the innocent Messiah, and this is what your sin does. And he slits the throat of that animal, and that innocent little animal dies there and bleeds out. And he says, the blood of this lamb will cover your sin. But there is a Messiah coming that's going, his blood is going to be shed, and his blood will, will permanently um, deliver you from sin. They believed, the, the Old Testament Israel believed on the Messiah that was to come, we believe on the Messiah who has come, but it was all by grace. And therefore, it's all by faith. We don't work ourselves into good standing with God. You believe your way into good standing because Jesus has already put you in good standing. Amen? That's what that means. Um, verse, as it is, well, 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's us, the Christians. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Not just the Jews, but a father of many nations. In the presence of him who, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. That's our pattern right there. God speaks things into existence. And when we know God's will, we speak things into existence. Notice verse 18. This is speaking of Abraham when God's trying to convince him that he's going to have a child, even though he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. Under normal circumstances, that ain't going to happen. Verse 18, who, speaking of Abraham, who, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. 
so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. And he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Note, let me read this from the message, starting in verse 19. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he said. That's what he's calling us to do. Plunge into the promise, knowing that God's with you. It's probably going to be scary. It's probably not going to be real easy. But he's there. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He will be with you through the entire process. Amen? And then let me close real quick with this. Part of what, what was, was um, the problem here, he didn't, or he was, uh, didn't waver at the promise through unbelief. In, in um, Mark 9 and, and Matthew 17, you have the picture, and I'm not going to go over there. You can go to Matthew 17. But this is where the disciples brought a demon-possessed boy or, or a father brought a demon-possessed boy to the disciples and they tried to cast the devil out of him and they couldn't do it. And in verse 17, they're at, or, or Matthew 17, starting in verse 20, the disciples are asking Jesus, why didn't this work? Because when Jesus showed up, this kid's on the ground frothing around, you know, having a fit, and Jesus calmly looks at the father and said, how long has this been going on? He wasn't concerned about what he saw. And then he commanded the, the devil, and the devil tore the boy and came out. And the disciples say, Lord, and remember, these are the same disciples that God's already given them power over all the power of the enemy. They've cast out demons. They've come back with praise reports. God, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They've already done this, but they tried it in this spot, and it didn't work. And so they, in verse 20, they ask him, why didn't this happen? And Jesus answered them. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. That Greek word there is apistos or apistion, depending on what form it is. It's negative faith. And here's how I see that situation. They came to the boy that was demon-possessed. And they took authority over the devil, and they cast that devil out of that boy, and the devil tore that kid. He fell on the ground. He started foaming at the mouth. He started having a seizure. And all of the disciples turned to one another and said, I guess it didn't work in this case. They believed what they saw instead of what God said. And Jesus said, this is your problem. You got caught up in unbelief. You believed what your eyes saw and your ears heard, and you forgot what I said. He says, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. He's speaking to the mountain, speaking to the demon in this case. Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, in Mark's account, when you read Mark's account, when he says this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, you get the impression he's talking about the demon. 
And I've heard teaching after teaching after teaching. And when I was involved in deliverance ministry, it was you better be prayed up and fasted up or you're not going to have problems. Matthew does not put this in connection with the power of the demon. He puts it in connection with the power of the disciples' unbelief. Their ability to see their circumstances and believe my circumstances are bigger than God. And he says, you want to get rid of your unbelief? You're going to have to pray and fast and believe me. You're going to have to get to the point where my word is so strong and you have such a revelation of this that that out there doesn't move you. Believe me, Abraham had a revelation. He's 100 years old, and the plumbing don't work anymore. And Sarah's 90 years old, and we, pardon my French, but we've been having sex for a lot of years, and she's never gotten pregnant. What in the world do you think is going to cause her to get pregnant now? And yet God said, believe me. And Abraham said, okay. I'm not going to look at my old withered up body, and I'm not going to look at Sarah's, you know, be like the little kid that went to the nursing home and saw the people getting ready to get in the pool and said, Grandma, somebody needs to get an iron out. Well, they were both old. They were both wrinkled. What used to be up is sagged down. None of their functions worked, and yet, bless God, she got pregnant. Why? Because God said it'll happen, and they believed God rather than what they saw. We are faced with that choice all the time. Between now and next week, I want you to read Ezekiel 37. That's the passage from, from uh, verse 1 down through um, verse uh, 12. Those first 12 verses. That's G, or God prophesying through Ezekiel over the valley of dry bones. I got to meditating on this this week, and while I was having my prayer time, and God spoke to me and said directly, that's part of my prophecy for this place, for this church. And then later I got to talking to God about it, and he said, this same prophecy works for our church, for our nation, but it also works for me individually. And that's what we're going to close out this little series with next week is Ezekiel 37. We need to, to prophesy what God prophesies. We've all got dry bones in our past. I got things God told me, I'm going to do this for you. None of them have come about. And sometimes I get a little complaining, a little whiny. God, you said this, you said this, you said this. I haven't seen this, and I'm 64. I'm, you know, I'm running out of time. And God says, well, you're going to gripe and complain and whine, or are you going to start taking me at my word and start speaking to your mountains? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your word. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at fccindianapolis.com.